0: Section one hundred nine of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. The World Story, Volume Thirteen, The United States, edited by Ava March Tappan. Section one hundred nine, The National Red Cross at Work. By Constance D. Loop. Early in the afternoon of Tuesday, March 25th, 1913, the telephone bell rang in the office of the National Red Cross at the War Department in Washington. "'Miss Boardman,' said a man's voice. "'This is the office of the Associated Press. The Miami River is rising in Ohio, and the town of Dayton is partly under water. Other rivers are rising, and it looks as if there might be serious trouble.' Miss Mabel Boardman, chairman of the National Relief Board of the American National Red Cross, ascertained the meager details, rang off, dictated a telegram to Governor Cox of Ohio, asking if he needed help, and turned her attention back to the really serious situation in tornado-swept Omaha. Governor Cox telegraphed back his thanks, but said the trouble was not serious. Then followed three telegrams in quick succession the same afternoon— Saying that matters were getting worse, the water was still rising, there were already many deaths, and that the state would be glad to have the assistance of the National Red Cross. The officers were not taken unawares. They never are, for their object in life is to lie in ambush awaiting the unexpected. And the machinery of the Red Cross is a very perfect, well oiled piece of mechanism that can be set in motion by the pressing of one lever at headquarters. To be sure, The director-general, Mr. Ernest P. Bicknell, had started twenty-four hours before for Nebraska. It was problematical what he would do when he heard the C.Q.D. from Ohio, and he was out of reach of the telegraph. To ensure a director on the scene of action in both places, the ever-vigilant Miss Boardman telegraphed Mr. Lees, of Chicago, to proceed to Omaha, and Mr. Edmonds, of Cincinnati, to take charge in Dayton, pending Mr. Bicknell's arrival. So much and a good deal more was already accomplished, before people of the country at large learned through the morning papers of Wednesday the 26th that a fearful calamity had overtaken Ohio. By that time a rescue party had been detailed, and was hurrying towards each threatened district along the rivers that were still rising with terrifying rapidity. These were no armies of well-meant, unskilled volunteers, but trained bands of emergency workers, doctors, and nurses— each under a competent general who had dropped his regular work at the Red Cross call to arms. Whatever you do every day for your living, if you are on the Red Cross emergency roll, if, in other words, you are allowed to help in time of trouble, it means that you are among the elect of your kind. On the afternoon of the 26th, the office of the Red Cross in the War Department is a particularly peaceful-looking spot. A casual glance around would never lead the uninitiated to suspect— that the greatest disaster this generation has known is in progress and that the relief work is being directed from this little room at her desk sits miss boardman with her hat still on alternately dictating telegrams and conversing on the long-distance telephone all up and down the atlantic seacoast. a secretary is ticking a typewriter another is being interviewed by a reporter in a corner and an army officer is calmly reading in the afternoon paper a highly colored and brilliantly imaginative account of the news from the front. A messenger boy enters with a telegram and leans negligently against the desk with the vacuous expression that sits eternally on the face of the messenger boy. There are no floods, no wars for him, just an everlasting round of dodging in and out of elevators with dispatches. Miss Boardman tears the telegram open, glances it over hastily, calls up the Associated Press and gives over the telephone the news that brings forth an extra within an hour in cities all over the country. A message has actually come through from the beleaguered, burning city of Dayton. A cry for help has come at last over the one intact wire that spans the flood. It is not much in the way of news, but the American people want everything there is, and the Red Cross is glad to give it to them, for where but to the generosity of these same American people does the Red Cross look for the money and provisions with which to carry on the work of relief. Mr. Edmonds has telegraphed from Dayton that he needs cooked food, clothing, bedding, doctors, and nurses. No tents? asks the reporter, and is informed that the Secretary of War has dispatched those long ago from the nearest posts. From Akron, Miss Gladwin, chairman of the local Red Cross Nursing Association, has proceeded with a staff of eighteen nurses to report at Columbus to Major Fauntleroy, who is the army medical officer in charge of the division hospital being assembled there. Major Fauntleroy has a staff of eight army surgeons besides the equipment, which, though consisting of tents and fittings which can be packed and carried to the battlefield, is as complete as that of any hospital. Thirty nurses from the nearby towns are already at Dayton, and Cincinnati is to send ten more. Mr. James Jackson, of Cleveland, has taken charge at Pequot and Sydney. Dr. Edward T. Devine, of New York, has telephoned that he is ready to report for duty anywhere he is wanted. Ordinarily, the Red Cross makes requisitions on its nearby members. But Dr. Devine grew up near the scene of the present disaster, and besides being at home there, he is particularly valuable because of his experience in San Francisco, at the sinking of the Slocum and the Titanic, and at the Triangle Fire, so Miss Boardman asks him to go to Columbus and report to the Governor. The Cincinnati and Cleveland Red Cross chapters are instructed to go ahead and raise funds and supplies. Telegrams have been dispatched to the Governors of all the states, to the Red Cross state boards, and to local chapters, appealing to all for aid. In other words, the Red Cross is calling out all the reserves, which is a most unusual procedure even in very grave situations. This means an appeal for money and supplies published in every daily paper in the United States. On the morrow, the money will come rolling in, and the little band of workers in the home office will have plenty of bookkeeping and receipt writing, besides the work of holding themselves constantly responsive to the outside world by telephone and telegrams. Letter writing has become a lost art. The typewriters are used only to write out dispatches. "'At half-past four, Miss Boardman rises "'and pulls down the roller-top of her desk. "'Mr. McGee, will you get out the atlas "'and look up all the large towns near the flooded district "'where we haven't chapters, and why are the mayors for aid?' "'She waves a handful of telegrams. "'Oh, and this telegraphing is going to be a big expense to us. "'Better ask the companies for free service. "'There is a tradition that no soulless corporation "'has ever refused one of these requests from the Red Cross.' Here are two checks that came in to-day from people in the city, she continues. Will you please send them to Mr. Reeside, so that the district committee may have the credit for them on their books? And here, handing a slip of paper to her secretary, is where I can be reached from eight until ten-thirty, and at this house from ten-thirty to twelve, before and after that at home. And Miss Boardman draws on her gloves and pulls down her veil, with the unruffled composure of one who has just completed a routine day's work. To-morrow will bring complications of a different kind, she knows, for besides the bookkeeping and care of the money, there will be many blundering, well-meant offers of help, out-of-the-way towns which have collected supplies and do not know how to forward them, theatrical companies who will give their services, if she will make the arrangements, etc., and these things must not be allowed to clog the smooth perfection of the machinery, which is working to fill the greatest needs of the stricken communities, in the shortest possible time." Now, a word about the machinery itself. In 1905, the Red Cross was reorganized and put on its present basis. The President of the United States is always its President, and the Executive Officers make their headquarters in the Capitol. Miss Boardman is the Chairman of the National Relief Board, and Mr. Bicknell is the National Director, which means that he has charge in the field when the disaster is serious enough to require national aid. Small disasters are handled by the local organizations. The governor of each state is the president of the state board, which consists of six or eight well-known business and professional men who have charge of raising funds and supplies locally. This board has nothing whatsoever to do with the relief work, which is in the charge of the institutional members. These institutional members are all of them charity organizations and the best and most efficient of their kind. Less than twenty in the whole country qualify for membership, but these are geographically widely scattered. An officer, ordinarily the secretary, of the institutional member nearest the scene of the disaster, is the first one to proceed thither. He takes charge of the relief work, but never has the task of raising money. Besides the staff of trained workers in his own society to call upon for aid, he is also chairman of a committee consisting of a member from each of the other active charity and social organizations within the city. In addition to the state boards and the institutional members, there are the local chapters in smaller places. All this sounds much more complicated than it really is, for when a call to arms comes, each steps into his appointed place and does his prearranged task. For instance, when the office in Washington first hears of a disaster— A telegram is sent at once to the governor of the state where it occurs, to find out if the state can handle it, or if national help is wanted. At a request for national aid, the president promptly issues a proclamation and appeal, and this is followed by the appeals of the governors, if deemed necessary. The money collected locally is sent to Washington, and from there to the governor of the afflicted state. 4,000 nurses, living and practicing all over the country, are at the service of the Red Cross. A register of these nurses is kept in every large city throughout the country, so that the chairman in charge has only to send for those nearest at hand. A nurse who is on a case when a summons comes is of course excused, but must hold herself in readiness for a summons as soon as she is off duty, if the crisis is not then passed. Perhaps half of the graduate nurses of the country could not qualify for the Red Cross Register. Besides requiring a degree from a good school, this stern taskmaster requires two years of active experience, personal integrity, very sound physique, and a devotion which will make the nurses willing to come for just half the regular fees, the Red Cross in this accepting the rate of pay in vogue for the army nurses. Understudies are everywhere provided throughout this marvellous system, so that nothing is thrown out of gear even when the national director is lost it is miraculously free from red tape. For years now it has, in times of peace, prepared for war. But it stands armed and vigilant against the elements, rather than against a human foe. End of section 109